Hello, hello. I just need to touch it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We're going old school this morning. We preach like this. I don't know how I'm going to do my hand motions, but we'll figure it out together, okay? It's so good that you're here this morning. My name is Pastor Jaron. I'm a pastor here at C1 Naz. We're just glad that you joined us here this morning. Um, if you've been with us for about the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Grace Revealed, and we've been going through the book of Luke, um, and we've been looking at the person of Jesus Christ on his journey to the cross, and uh, we've been pulling out different parts of his story, looking at those stories, and seeing what Grace Revealed looks like in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue that this week. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and so if you want to go ahead and flip there, that is where we will be, Luke chapter 9. Back in 2010, a news report hit the news cycle. Uh, a UPS worker was dropping off a package um, when he noticed smoke was coming from an upper window of this house. Um, so he immediately called the fire department. The fire department came, and they opened up the door. They broke inside, and they looked around to make sure they, that nobody was inside the house, and luckily the house was empty. So then they began to search for the source of all this smoke. They couldn't find any flames. Um, so they were searching each room to figure out where the smoke was coming from. They finally found the source. They opened up a room, and there, sitting on a table, was a magnifying glass. And the light was coming through the window at just the right angle that it was hitting the magnifying glass, and it was focusing the solar beam on a pack of letters that were sitting on the desk. And that is where the source of all this smoke and flame was originating. Um, so they quickly put out the fire, and there was no damage to the house. But I think that what this story illustrates is just how powerful light can be when it's focused in the right direction. I believe that it's saying, the same is true for us as Christians this morning. Our focus matters, right? Our focus matters. Where we place our focus matters. In our Christian walk with Jesus, it's important that we focus on the right thing. There are so many things in the world today that are vying for our attention, different responsibilities, different distractions, that it's easy to lose focus. There are many things in our lives that distract us from where our focus needs to be. Um, but what we're going to be discussing this morning is that the grace of Christ is revealed whenever we can find our focus. Okay, so let's go ahead and open up our uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 9. You may already be there. We're going to be looking at the end of that chapter, so Luke 9 57. Luke 9, 57. It says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he, re but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Uh, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So here in this short passage in the, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus has a conversation with three different people. And each of these people thinks they have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. They think they're capable of being a disciple for Christ. They love him. They love what he's doing. They, they want to be a part. They're into his message. They've seen the people he's healed. And they want to be a follower of Jesus. Each, but each person in this passage is pointing their focus in different ways, which causes them to lose sight of what Jesus is truly calling them to do. Each of these men shows us a different thing that we, even today, can let distract us from where our focus is supposed to be. The first way that we can lose focus is by being distracted by comfort. So let's look again at verse 57. It says this. The first man. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. This is the, this is the only man out of the three who approach Jesus first without any excuses. All he says is, I will follow you. Wherever it is, Jesus, I'm on board. I'm following you. No excuses. Whatever you want, God, I'm following you. If you want to go heal lepers and heal the blind, I'm with you. If you want to go drive out demons, I'm with you. Okay? If you want to go fishing, I'm there. Okay? He's like, I'm following you. No excuses. But it's clear from Jesus' response that Jesus knew something about this man that maybe the man didn't even know himself. It seems like Jesus knew something about his heart. It seemed like he knew something about his intentions. And it seemed that he knew something about where his focus really was. Look at, look at the response that Jesus gives in, uh, in verse 58. What does he say? Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What? Jesus, why are you saying this? I just told you, I will follow you wherever. I don't care if, I don't care if there's no place to lay your head. I'm, I'm with you. To the edge of the town to heal the lepers, I'm with you. And to, to heal demons, I'm there, okay? But to him, but Jesus is kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. Like, I get it. I like your enthusiasm. You'll follow me wherever you go. I'm glad that you want to be a part of the ministry that I'm about. I'm glad you want to do all these things. But before you make such a big commitment, I want to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. This is what Jesus is saying to the man. He's saying, make sure you know what my followers are experiencing. Make sure you know what I'm really calling them to do. You see, me and my disciples, we may look like rock stars. We may look like we have it all together. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of people hate us. The truth of the matter is, there's a lot of people who would rather see us dead than do what we're doing. You see, it may look like we're comfortable and we're good. But the fact of the matter is, we sleep on the ground every night. I haven't slept in a bed in weeks. It's pretty bad around here. And, and Thomas, he hasn't taken a shower in months. Like, you don't know how bad it's, it's gotten, okay? It's getting bad. Like, if you want to be my follower, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. It's dirty. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. Do you really want to follow me? I don't even have a place to lay my head. This is what Jesus is telling this man. And I don't think that Jesus is telling this man uh, that he has no place to lay his head simply because he's tired of sleeping on the ground. I think that Jesus knew this man to his core. I think that he knew that comfort was something that this man held very dearly. I think that Jesus responded the way he did is because he knew that his ministry and the calling that he had for this man was uncomfortable. 
And it was going to be really, really difficult for this man because of the uncomfortable situation that Jesus is calling him into. He really wanted to make sure that this man knew what he was doing. And sometimes I feel like we're a lot like that man. We're, we're in services like this. We're in Sunday school. Maybe we go to a conference, and, and we become on fire for God, and, and we begin to pray uh, things like, God, your, your way is better than my plan. Your, 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 your way is better than my way. God, I want to do what you want to do. I want your will to be done on my life. I'll follow you wherever you go. And that's great, and we should be praying prayers like that, and those are great prayers to pray because God's way is better than our way. His plan is better than our plan. But I feel like sometimes God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, are you sure you want to pray that prayer? Like, those, like, are, are, we, so, we sometimes pray those prayers just so flippantly, Lord, let, let your will be done in my life. But it feels like God is saying to us, I'd be happy to do that, but are, are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure you want to follow me? Are you sure that you want my will to be done in your life? Because you might not like what I do. I'm probably not going to call you to places that you find pleasing or comfortable. I'm probably going to throw you way outside of your comfort zone. Are you sure that you want my will to be done in your life? Are you really sure you want to follow me? What if I call you to witness to that coworker, and you know that coworker, the one that really, really annoys you, the one that really gets on your nerves? What if I call you to witness to that guy? Do you still want my will to be done in your life? Or what if, what if when, the, when the papers are piling high on your desk and your calendar's all filled up and I call you to go and serve someone and take time to go and make an impact on someone else's life, are you sure you want my will to be done in your life in that moment? Or what if I call you to something that's truly uncomfortable, you and your family to uproot and move somewhere else? Are you sure that you want your will to, my will to be done in your life? Are you sure you're okay with that? I think that what Christ is telling this first man in Luke and what he's telling us today, that if we really want to follow him, if we really want his plan to be done in our life and his will to be done in our life, then we have to know the cost of comfort. We have to understand that where we are, our comfort zones, the roots that we lay down may be thrown off balance when God calls us to go. When we pray those prayers, God, we pray those prayers, God, let your will be done, let your plan be done in our life. Jesus wants to understand just how dangerous those prayers can be. He wants us to understand that he tends to call us out of th to things that are outside of our comfort zone. He tends to call us to things that throw us off so that we have to hold all the more closely to him. So many times our comfort can distract us from our where our focus is supposed to be. I got my call to missions when I was, so when I was a sophomore in high school. And I got that call at the Nazarene Youth Conference, NYC, in Louisville. And when I received that call, I had been praying for such a long time, God, reveal your will on my life. Show me what you want me to do with my life. And I prayed it over and over and over again until finally he revealed that to me. And, and I, was, I was so grateful. I was so thankful. God, finally, you showed me your will on my life. And I was grateful. But then he started calling me to things that were pretty uncomfortable. It was like two or three weeks after I got my call that I got an email. And this email was a mission trip that was going on the next summer. And it was for high schoolers who had received a call to missions to go to Africa for two weeks. And I really felt like God was wanting me to go. And I was like, God, like, you literally just called me to missions two weeks ago. And you're already calling me to go to Africa? Like, that's a big deal. Can we, like, start somewhere small? Can we maybe start in, like, Indianapolis? Like, that I can do. But Africa, that's, that's crazy, God. That's all the way across the world. I'd never been out of the country before. And God, look at that price tag. There's a lot of money that you need to raise in order to go on this trip. There's no way I'm going to be able to raise that. I work at Dairy Queen. How am I going to get all that money? And I didn't know. And instantly, God had called me, and it was instantly a place of discomfort and not knowing what I was going to do.
But then God be able, was, but I <clears throat> was faithful, and I went for that call. And I said, God, if you are calling me to this uncomfortable place, I'm going to lean all the harder on you, and I'm going to pray that you would provide the money, that you would provide the, the courage to do this, because I can't do it on my own. And he provided again and again and again. It's when we, Jesus calls us that we have to know the cost of comfort that's on the way. But that just means we have to hold closer to him and allow him to provide for us. Jesus is saying to us what he said to the man in chapter 9. This is what following me looks like. It's dirty and it's messy, and it's uncomfortable. Are you really sure you want to follow me? Sometimes we can be distracted by the comfort in our lives that distracts us from the focus, where our focus is supposed to be pointed. Not only that, but it's also easy to become distracted by other calls in our life. Let's look at 50, verse 59. It says this, He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, like Jesus, that's harsh. That's a harsh thing to say to someone who just lost their dad. And we can look at that and we can say, wow, Jesus, that was kind of mean. Um, all he wanted to do was bury his father, but Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. And it's hard, it's hard because in none of these three accounts do any of the three man, men speak back to Jesus when he tells them what he says. None of them talk back to Jesus. But I feel like if I was this man and it was me, I would say, Jesus, come on. Like, it only take a few hours. Just let me bury my dad, and then I'll come and follow you. But Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. And I think that it's important to realize the basics of what Jesus is calling this man to do in order to understand why Jesus said what he said. If we boil it down, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is offering this man a call. This is the only man in all three accounts of the three men. This is the only man that Jesus points to, and he says, you, follow me. The other two men came to Jesus, and they said, I will follow you. But this is the only man that Jesus pointed to out of the whole crowd that was there. He pointed to this man, and he said, I want you to follow me. And that's important to realize. Jesus offers this man a call. But this man has a problem. He's called in a different direction. His, his family responsibilities, his family, they're all calling him one way while Jesus is calling him another. Jesus offers this man a call. He has conflicting calls. I think what Jesus' seemingly harsh response means is that there's no other call that supersedes mine. There's no other call that supersedes mine. Jesus is saying, I called you to follow me, and out of all these people, I called only you. I want to use you. I want to work in you. I want to change you. And I want you to follow me, and nothing can supersede that call. This is the greatest call that you can follow. My call is above all other calls in your life. That's what Jesus is saying to this man. And I think the same is true for us today. We have so many different calls that are calling us in so many different directions. Everyone and everything seem, seems to be calling us in different directions. We have family members and friends who care about us and love us, and they tell us they, that, that what's best for us and what they think we should do. And we have financial calls that... This, this way is a little bit more uh, fiscally responsible than this way, and this way is a little bit cheaper than this way. We have all these different calls that are pulling us in different directions. But what Jesus is saying here is that his call is above all other calls in our life. There are so many voices in our lives, so many responsibilities, and so many people that are calling us different ways. It's going to happen. But what we need to do is we need to take those voices and take those calls, and we need to align it up with what God is calling us to do. And if it doesn't match what God is calling, to, to do, calling us to do, then we need to throw it 
away. It's our job to filter out the noise of all the other calls that are on our life. We have to pray that God would give us discernment. And I think that um, out of everyone in this room, the people that have it the hardest are probably our teens. And I think that Pastor Travis would agree with me that while you're in a very important time in your life right now where you're trying to figure out what direction God's wanting to go and what, what occupation to take or what college to choose, there's a lot of people that are giving you a lot of advice, and a lot of that advice comes out of love. But in, in reality, and I think all of your parents and family members in this room would agree that you have to take all those voices in your life, and you have to line them up what you believe God is calling you to do, and if they don't match up, you need to throw them away. You need to follow God with all of your heart, and you need to aim for his plan on your life. You're going to have a lot of voices in your life. And that goes for all of us. There's a lot of voices. And we need to figure out what God is calling us to do, and we need to follow it. It's so difficult sometimes to filter out those voices. But we need to follow God, his, his call, and his direction. I was walking in a store the other day, and there was a sign that was taped to the door. And the sign said, Welcome to your future. We've been waiting for you. Now hiring. And that was the sign that was taped on the door. And as we begin to think about that sign... I was reminded of a time when someone else told me what my future should look like. Um, there was a guy who I'd known for a few weeks, and he was kind of asking me some questions about what I was planning on doing after college. And he said, so are you planning on going to seminary after you graduate from Trevecca? And I said, um, no, you know, I've been praying about it. I really don't feel like seminary is the place for me, so I think I just wanna, I'm going to go and try to get a job in a church right after college. And he looked down his nose at me, and he said, if you're going into the ministry, you need to go to seminary. And I began to grow super confused and super disoriented with those words because it seemed like God was calling me one way, but this guy's calling me the other. He's saying, you need to go to seminary. And I just didn't feel like that was God's will for me. And so I went weeks with just kind of being distracted and disoriented about what I was going to do after college. Like, I thought I knew what it was, but now I don't really know. So I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, like, this is what this guy said. He said, like, if I'm going to the ministry, I need to go to seminary after college, and I just don't know what to do. And my dad said, you don't need to listen to anybody else's voice. You only need to listen to what God's telling you to do. And I instantly threw away what the other person told me to do. As, I know that was out of love. I know it was because that guy cared about me and wanted the best for me. But ultimately, that call did not line up with what I felt God was wanting me to do. So I had to get rid of it, and I had to follow God's call with all of my heart. A lot of people are going to tell you what your future should look like. And it's easy for other people who are on the outside to look in and tell you what's best. But the good news is we don't need to juggle all those different voices and opinions. There's only one voice that we need to listen to, and his voice is truth, and that's the voice of God. Filter out all the other voices. Listen to God's call and his direction. It's easy for us to get distracted by other calls. And then finally, we look at the last man in chapter 9. Let's look at what he gets distracted by. He gets distracted by the past. At the end of Luke 9, it says this, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service, for service in the kingdom of God. And it just seems like Jesus is just tearing everyone apart in this passage. That any time they say they'll follow him, he just rips what they say apart. But why is Jesus being so seemingly harsh in these passages? And I think it's Jesus' tone speaks to the importance of his call on our life. It speaks to the seriousness of our call. Our call is very important. It cannot be superseded by anything else. But look at what Jesus' response is to the man when he says he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family. No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom 
of God. What is Jesus saying here? I think what he's saying is that once you agree to follow me, once you begin to follow my call for your life, there is no looking back. Once you begin to follow the plan that I have set before you, there's only one direction, and that is forward. You, your past cannot take precedence of the future that I'm setting before you. Too often our, our, too often our past can distract us from that which Jesus is calling us to do. Sometimes we say things like, well, God, this is the way I've always done it. This is where I've always been. I've always lived in this house. I've always done these things. I've always worked this job. So this is the way it's always been. And that's a way that our past can distract us from the new call that God is laying on our lives. Or sometimes we lay our spiritual resume before God. We say, see, God, my, my past, I've failed too many times. I've sinned too many times. I just can't fulfill this call that you're laying on my life. That's another way that the past can distract us from our real focus. But let me just tell you this morning, it's while we're following God's call that the past can seem so appealing. It's when we're in the midst of walking down the path that God has set for, set for us, and it's the middle, when it's in the middle, when it gets difficult and hard, and we're really leaning on God that we look back, and that past looks so, so appealing. We're like, God, back there I was comfortable. Like, back there I was making a lot of money. I was doing pretty good, but you've called me all the way out here, and it seems like you've just abandoned me here, and I don't really know what to do. And that past is looking really appealing. It's in the midst of difficulty of our new calling that our past looks so appealing. Think about the Israelites. When Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he brought them out of slavery. They were in the desert, and they were wandering, and they got really hungry, and they ran out of food, and they were starving. What's the first thing that they start doing? Look in Exodus 16. It says this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They had just been brought out of slavery, but now when, they, when they're following this new call and things are getting difficult, they begin to look back to the past, and that past in slavery looks so appealing. Back there we had food. Back there we had pots of meat. We could eat whatever we want. Let's go back there. They were following God's call, but when things got difficult, the past looked really appealing, but God provided for the Israelites. And sometimes when, when we're following God's call and things get difficult, we really have to dig in and we really have to lean upon God and we have to trudge down that path that he's laid before us. And it isn't until we get down that path that we can finally look back and see all the ways that he provided for us time and time and time again. And it isn't for a while of following the path that God has set before us that we can finally look back and see how much better where we are is then when we, where we were. And we see how much God has worked in our lives and built us up and built our character. It's because we've been through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. God has shaped us and he's grown us. We see how far he's brought us. We see how he's worked. He's worked for our good. And we finally begin to see that where we are, his plan is better than our plan. And our, our future was better than our past. And this is what Jesus is saying to this man in chapter 9. He's saying, you think that going back is what's best for you. You think that what is in the past is better than the future that I have set before you. You think that your past, where you're comfortable, is where you belong. But I'm calling you on a new path. And this path only moves into the future. And we're going to keep moving and we're going to keep pushing and keep leaning and keep going and keep setting our focus on God and down the path that he has set for us. Trust me, Jesus said to this man, I have a future. I have a future that is better than any past that you keep looking back to. During our senior year of college, me and Annie thought it would be fun to have Kendra, my sister, and her boyfriend 
um, to come down from Columbus and join us for a weekend where we lived. We went to school in Nashville. Um, so we, we kind of made the plans, and Kendra and Connor, they joined us for a weekend, and they came down on a Friday. And while on the drive down, we were kind of talking like, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow's Saturday. We're in Nashville. What are we going to do? Okay, how are we going to have fun? So the conversation kind of moved towards, well, hey, let's go to Gatlinburg. Let's go to Gatlinburg. It's only a couple hours away from Nashville. We can drive to Gatlinburg. We'll have a good time there on Saturday. It'll be great. So we decided on Gatlinburg. And we said, okay, we're going to wake up early tomorrow morning. We're going to get to Gatlinburg. We're going to have a good time. So me and, Ken, me and Connor went to my apartment, and we played video games till way too late. And Kendra and Annie uh, went to her apartment, and they went right to sleep. So as you can imagine, when the plan was to wake up really early, me and Connor were kind of dragging our feet the next morning. So we end up not getting on the road until 12 or 1 o'clock. Yeah, sorry. Until <clears throat> um, 12 or 1 o'clock. And it wasn't until we put Gatlinburg, which we hadn't done this, I don't know why, but it wasn't until we put Gatlinburg in the GPS that we realized it wasn't just two hours away, it was four hours away from Nashville. So right off the bat, we're like, well, we, we're leaving way too late to get to Gatlinburg, but here we go. We'll still go for it. It'll be fun. So we got on the road. We're heading towards Gatlinburg. Um, and by about hour three, we're getting pretty restless. We're getting pretty aggravated. We're getting pretty tired. Um, and it, it, was, it wasn't until I looked at the GPS. There was five minutes till Gatlinburg. And we were kind of all silently singing praises to Jesus that we're finally to Gatlinburg, five minutes away. And then all of a sudden, like, the GPS kind of, like, glitched out. And I didn't really know where we were supposed to go. And the road forked. And I didn't know which, which direction to take. And there was a sign that said Gatlinburg Bypass to the right. So I had to, like, hurry and decide. So I went to the right. And I took the Gatlinburg Bypass. And we drove... And we realized quickly after a while that, we realized quickly after a while that when, when you go into Gatlinburg, you kind of go down into Gatlinburg, but instead we were somehow going up into Gatlinburg and up around a mountain for some reason. And so soon the five minutes that we thought was Gatlinburg turned into like 10 and then 15 and eventually 30 and 45 minutes. We're like, where is Gatlinburg? I have no idea where we are. And we didn't have service, so we couldn't type it into our GPS because we were in the middle of the mountains. So we didn't have service, so we couldn't figure out where we were. We were lost. We thought we were near Gatlinburg. And finally, as we kind of got higher and higher up the mountain, we finally were able to get service up there. And Kendra typed um, Gatlinburg into her GPS, pressed start, and she's like, Jared, we're almost in North Carolina. Like, where are we? <clears throat> and so we, we eventually figured out, like, who knew that whenever you take the Gatlinburg bypass, it actually bypasses Gatlinburg. But that's what happens. <clears throat> so everybody's kind of mad at me because I made the wrong turn. And now what turned into a four-hour trip ended up being like a five, five-and-a-half-hour trip because we had to make our way back down the mountain and get into Gatlinburg. So we get into Gatlinburg, and it's like way too late. Like it's time for dinner, and we're four hours away from home, and we don't know what we're doing. And we're kind of all grumbling. When we're coming down the mountain, we were kind of all grumbling. And we're kind of like, was this a bad idea? This seems like a bad idea. Like should we have just waited at home, we began looking back in the past, and suddenly just sitting in Annie's apartment watching a movie looked really appealing to where we were. And we looked back at the past, and we were like, maybe we should have never left Annie's apartment in the first place. Maybe we should have just stayed there, rented a movie, and watched it. This is a horrible, horrible idea. What are we doing out here? So we pulled into Gatlinburg. We're all tired. Everybody's mad at me. We get dinner. But as we begin to experience Gatlinburg late at night like we did, I think that we each found that that was one of the best nights of our life. Like, if you ask Kendra or Connor or Anna, I think none of them would say they would give up that night for anything. We had so much fun in Gatlinburg. Okay, and I'll just give you a few little points that were fun. 
Um, the first was that we went putt-putt golfing. So here's the first picture. So we went putt-putt golfing. We find out that Annie is like amazingly good at putt-putt, which is so surprising. I had no idea. Um, she's amazing at putt-putt. And this putt-putt place, while you're putt-putting, you, there's a scavenger hunt you can take where you can find different things in the putt-putt place. And it's like, so we took the scavenger hunt with us, and we were, we were actually kind of looking for the things in the scavenger hunt more than we were actually putt-putting. And we got to the end, and it's like, if you find everything on this scavenger hunt, you get a big, big prize. And we were super excited. We go through all 18 holes. We found everything. We're like, guys, we're going to get this huge prize. And uh, we got to the front, and it's just this, like, uh, grumpy teenager. And we're like, hey, we found everything on this scavenger hunt. Here it is. And she's just like, oh, we've never had anybody actually do that before. And she didn't know where the prizes were. So she's looking in the podium. She's, like, looking underneath it, and she pulls out this giant cardboard box, and this is what was in it. Like these cheap beads that you, necklaces. That was the giant prize that we earned. But we wore those things around Gatlinburg like we were kings. And it was a lot of fun. And then um, the other thing that was fun about Gatlinburg is that um, Annie and Kendra, they'd always wanted to get one of those old-time pictures. And if we had turned back and went back to Annie's house, this would have never happened. <laughs> if we had went back and if we had watched a movie and turned back around and went back to Nashville, this picture would have never been taken. And that scares me, because this is an amazing picture. And we hang it up in our house. We're so proud of it. But the fact of the matter was that it, the past looked so appealing when we were going through the difficulties of making it to Gatlinburg. It was while we were going down the mountain, and we were grumbling, and we were angry, and we were tired, and we were stressed out, that the past looked so appealing. But the same is true for us in our Christian walk. We can't look back to the past. The kingdom of God is in the future. We have to lean on Jesus as he guides us ever onwards into the call that he's laid us on our life. So here we have three different men at the end of Luke chapter 9. Each of them has different distractions. All of them have different things that are pulling them away from the call that God has laid on their life. But I love what the writer of Luke does. At the end of chapter 9, he gives us these three men, all with different distractions, but then at the end of chapter 10, he gives us another person with a distraction, and then finally someone who actually got it right. Look with me at the end of chapter 10 now. Flip the page. At the end of chapter 10, uh, verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that he that had been to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I love this story because here, look at Martha. Here she is. Jesus has just entered her village, and she knows who he is. She knows what he's done. She knows what he stands for. And so she decides to serve him and open up her doors and invite him in for dinner. And we almost have to laugh because I think each of us kind of knows a Martha that when it, whenever so you go over to their house or whenever they invite people to their house, they're constantly running around making preparations, making food, making sure everybody's served, making sure everybody's needs are met. They're constantly running around. They never sit down. We probably all know someone a little bit like Martha. And I think that Martha in this moment saying, when Jesus says, sorry, um, but what's so crucial to understand is that when she's running around stirring pots and stirring drinks and setting the table, Martha really, really thought she was serving Jesus. When she was running around making preparations, she thought that she was serving Jesus. But we see very quickly that Martha is distracted by her own good intentions. 
She had good intentions in inviting God to her house. She had good intentions at sitting him at her table, bringing him food and drinks, and providing entertainment for him. But she is stunned whenever she realizes that this is not what Christ desired for her. She grows angry here because here she is serving Christ. She's like, look at me, I'm washing the dishes, I'm making the bread. I'm trying to serve Jesus, and lo and behold, where is Mary? But she is lazily sitting at Jesus' feet, not doing anything. So she yells out of the kitchen door to Jesus. She says this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Here I am trying to serve you. Here I am trying to do your will. Here I am trying to fulfill your call. Tell Mary to get on board. She is not serving you. She's just sitting there. But look at what Jesus says in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and is not to be taken from her. What? Jesus, I am serving you. Watch me mix this crème brûlée and tenderize the steak. I am serving you. Here I am in the kitchen. I'm serving you. But you're saying I have it all wrong. You're saying that I'm distracted. You're saying I've lost my focus. It doesn't make sense. But the fact of the matter is, Martha thought that she was serving God, but she was actually distracted by her own way. Martha was blinded by assuming she knew what following Christ looked like. She thought she knew what serving him meant. So she took that idea and she ran with it. And so many times I think that we can all relate to Martha. So many times that we sit and we think, I think I have this Christian thing pretty well figured out. You kind of love on people. You do good things. You don't do bad things. You pray. and You read your Bible. I, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. We know from a Christian perspective what it's like to mix the eggs. We know how to roll out the dough. We know how to set the table. And we really think that we're serving Jesus when we do that. But Jesus is saying to us what he says to Martha. He's saying, no, you got it all wrong. Why I want you to love people, and why I want you to read my word, and why I want you to pray, I'm calling you to so, so, so much more than these empty actions. He says, I'm calling you into a deep and a rich walk with me, a walk that can be only be found when you do what Mary is doing. And look at Mary. Look at her actions compared to to Martha. Here is Martha. She's running around. She's focused only on making preparations for dinner. But where is Mary focused? Where has she set her focus? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Her focus is locked 100% on him and what he is saying. Mary isn't focused on anything else except for Jesus. She isn't focused on her comfort. She isn't focused on her past. She isn't focused on the other calls or other voices around her. She's only focused on the eyes of Jesus. And when it comes to following Jesus, I think we can all feel a whole lot like Martha. We get distracted by a lot of different things, yet we think we're following Jesus. We get distracted by our comfort. We worry a lot about what God calls, God's call means for our family and for our job. We get distracted by these other voices and calls in our lives. We get distracted by the past and, and where we were. And sometimes we get distracted even by what we think that God's call looks like. But instead, Christ just calls us to stop. Christ just says, just stop, just for one second. Stop being distracted by all these other things by your life. Just stop. He says, just come. Just sit at my feet and realign your focus to me. And it's when we come and we sit at Christ's feet and we lock eyes with him and we listen for only his voice that we can regain our focus. And it's there in the eyes of Christ that we're staring, that we're focused on where grace is truly 
revealed. It's when we focus on Christ that we can truly begin to follow him how he wants us to follow him, to follow his plan, to follow his will. But we have to stop being distracted by all of these other things and focus solely on him. So will you stand with me this morning? And Pastor Nathan, he's going to come. I just wanted to open up the altars this morning as um, Nathan just sings a chorus from this one, a song that we sang during offering. And I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe God's already called you to something new and something kind of scary. You've heard him say, follow me. But where he's guiding you is way, way, way out of your comfort zone. And maybe you just need to come forward this morning. You need to lay at Jesus' feet. And you need to lean on him and trust in him that wherever he leads you, there's peace and comfort in his presence. Or maybe you're trying just to discern God's call in your life, and there's just a whole lot of voices that are, that are calling you different directions. You just need to come this morning. You need to realign your focus and listen to only God's call and figure out exactly where he's leading you. Or maybe this morning there, you realize that there's something holding you back from following God's call. Maybe there's something on your Christian resume that's holding you back from following the direction that God is calling you. Maybe the past looks a whole lot better than where you are now and you want to realign your focus to God. Or maybe this morning you've realized that you've just simply lost your focus. You've been distracted by so many other voices. And maybe you just hear Christ calling your name and Christ is just saying to you, would you just stop? Like just stop for two seconds. Come, sit at my feet, lock your eyes with me and realign your focus this morning. I don't know where you are this morning, but after I pray, the praise team is going to sing. And if you feel led, would you please come? Joy, Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that we can put our focus in you, Lord. And that if we align our focus on you, we can find a purpose and we can find your will for our life, Lord. But I just ask God that if we need to realign our focus, if we're distracted by other things, Lord, that we would just come and we would sit at your feet and we would look wholly and only upon you, Lord. Help us this morning. Would you please come?